Alright, welcome back to Sports Media School, episode 15 overall, episode 1 in the rebrand of Sports Media School. This show used to be called Sports Media Now. Um, I used to do a show alone. Uh, we had some pretty good guests on, Marin Fader, Brendan Quinn, Jeff Perlman. Uh, just kind of fell out of my routine. I was busy doing other things, and now we have completely rebranded. I brought in an excellent co-host to run the show alongside with me, uh, and hopefully that'll make it a better overall show for you, the listeners. If this is your first time listening to Sports Media School. I assume it is. This is technically our first episode. Uh, welcome. This is a pretty much an educational podcast. Uh, you know, if you're somebody who's looking to get into the sports media industry, uh, somebody who's just interested, whether you're a student or a young professional, uh, or even a, a seasoned vet, I think you'll you'll find some of the tips and tidbits on this podcast uh, pretty helpful uh, as you as you try to build your career. I am Noel Bianchi. I'm a sports writer and a podcaster living in the Detroit area. And at this time, I will now let my co-host Gabrielle Starr introduce herself. Thanks, buddy. I'm so excited to be working with you again. Um, I'm Gabrielle Starr, host of this podcast now and host of Locked on Red Sox and host of the Girl at the Game podcast, founder of Girl at the Game. I grew up right down the street from Fenway Park. I've lived all over the country. I've lived out of the country. Um, I got into sports as a writer and then transitioned into podcasting in addition to the writing. And I also now uh, run social media for Locked on's MLB shows uh all 33 of them and nolan i'm so happy that we're doing this together because we loved working together so much at locked on that we decided that we were going to keep it going and today helping us further that mission is a very special guest it is will bukema he's the executive producer at secret base and a rotating host of many of their fantastic youtube series and a recent nominee for a webby award uh so let's welcome in will will what's going on man how's it going Hey, thanks for having me. I, I don't think I have as impressive of a list as Gabrielle, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll take Nobody what I does. get. I'll, yeah, right. Um, thanks. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to, to chat with y'all. So the brand Secret Base, it's relatively new, but if you've, you know, a little bit like this show, a recent rebrand, <laughs> um, it's the SB Nation channel. Uh, you know, they've been putting out all these series for a while. Rewinder, Beef History, uh, which Will was instrumental and just just a lot of great 10 to 15 minute stories put together in a really well-produced well-researched uh youtube format can you give people uh, a better idea of what secret base is than i just did and and how you're telling these stories basically sure no i mean i think he did a, a great job but the, the the way we talk about it is we tell stories that happen to be about sports like that's that's really all we're trying to do we're, we're finding things that interest us and assume that that means they'll be interesting to other people. And um, it's, it's a, it's a fun setup. We, we pretty much are just doing uh, internet sports documentaries and we're following franchise models so that we can kind of turn them around a little bit easier and we're not having to 
uh, start from square one with each video we make. And so far, so good. People have, have really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, to what, to what you're saying about Secret Base, like that started in this past August, August 2020. And really in terms of the videos we're making, nothing has changed since 2018. We're just kind of trying to figure out what we're doing, trying to expand on that and trying to push ourselves with the stories that we're telling. I mean, it's super, super cool. And you are the executive producer. So what does this job entail? Like if you had to sum up your job in three sentences, and I know that's really hard because working in sports, we wear a lot of hats, but three sentences, how would you sum up your job? I think my job is to prevent as many frustrations for my team as possible and make sure that the people who are extremely talented storytellers are able to just focus on that. Um, I get to write, I get to produce, I get to edit still. And I think, you know, exactly what you're just saying. I wear a lot of hats in part to continue to feel like extremely creatively fulfilled and, and not have to like suit and tie of a job. But yeah, at the end, at the end of the day, my job is just to to tell stories and and make sure that um, the folks on the team can do the same as easily as possible. Well, you guys have a great team, and I've noticed, you know, over time, like slowly but surely, I'm like, oh, that's a voice I haven't heard before, you know. Uh, and and it seems like something that's growing, uh, both secret base, you know, as a whole, the the amount of series that you guys do, uh, and just the creativity, the different types of of narrative structures and stuff like that. And we'll get into all that uh, in just a little bit. But before we get into the details of that, take me through the journey of Will Bukema, uh, because you've been with Secret Base slash SB Nation for, uh, what, almost a decade? A decade now? Um, Yeah. Uh, Can I swear? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I don't see why not. Yeah. um, It's been a minute, man. Uh, So I, I moved up to New York originally to study film. And I went to NYU and, and that, that's what got me here. And then I think like, I, I tell myself like a lot of people in college, but maybe it's, it's more rare than I realize. Um, graduation came along and I had a, a mini meltdown and was like, what am I going to do? Um, Naturally. Yeah, it was, it was, you know, real fun when you're 22 and you think like, this is the biggest moment in your life. But like, in reality, as you get older, you realize that nobody really knows what they're going to be doing. They're all just faking it as they go and we all make it work. Yeah. Um, so uh, once I got through that phase, uh, I started uh, freelancing as a production assistant on uh, college humor shows and um, through that fell in with some producers who kind of showed me that being a video producer can be really fun and really creatively rewarding. And I kind of assumed you were just like at your computer booking stuff and finding people to do the stuff that is really exciting. And they, they showed me otherwise. Um, the liaison for cool people. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you're, you are, you are the uncle on set and <laughs> there are cool uncles. So that's, that's been my, my big career goal. Um, yeah, I found some producers who just kind of opened my eyes to what being a video producer can be. Um, and one of them joined SB Nation was like, hey, we could use a full-time uh, production assistant. So in 2012, about six months after SB Nation video started in the first place, I came on. So, you know, pretty pretty close to the ground floor, um, really just trying to figure out formats that work, trying to figure out internet video and um, 
managed to stick around long enough where, you know, eventually made production coordinator, then producer, then senior producer, and then um, the last two years, executive producer. So right out of the, basically right out of the frying pan into the, uh, into the fire there. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Um, and I, I think it's, I think what I really appreciated about the producers that I met who kind of showed me the light was they had all also been production assistants and mm. being able to kind of have that understanding of, you know, if, if you're looking at the, the pecking order of a, a production, being able to relate to the, the folks who are kind of doing the, the grunt work, I've always attempted to keep that in mind because like, you might get to a certain point where like you are removed from everything that is really getting done. You're just kind of calling the shots. And if you lose sight of what it actually takes to do that stuff, the people that are working with you are not going to have as good of a time. <laughs> and I, I think that that has been uh, something that has led to like our team at secret base being extremely, extremely close knit and um, everything is a, a collaboration. So what I'm trying to say is I enjoy my job very much. <laughs> What were some of the, the the biggest you know struggles along the way? I, obviously, I think you honestly like you have a different route than than most people. Most people like have this uh, catastrophic breakdown like you had, and then it doesn't go anywhere for a while. Uh, sure. But that 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 doesn't mean that you weren't presented with struggles along the way. You know, like you said, like you were on the ground floor of a brand new initiative. And that can be kind of overwhelming in and of itself. So I guess what was that process just, um, you know, trying to figure yourself out as a professional, trying to fulfill the needs of what somebody else was trying to do and just how you balance all those things while, while still trying to, you know, get some for yourself, essentially. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think, um, and everything is with hindsight. I think in the moment I, I wasn't processing any of this in this way, but the, the industry that like we're essentially working in. like i'm i'm i think in digital media first and then sports media second and within digital media everything is kind of constantly shifting and you have people trying to catch up to whatever is uh trending or what platform is new and what are what are younger audiences going after because that's who they really want to target and that audience can grow with them and i think that has been where the struggles have have really come from because you can, um, you can find something that's totally you. You can find something that's unique. You can find uh, content that you're really offering something that nobody else out there is. And something can change that's completely out of your hands that then kind of forces you to scramble and forces you to reinvent the wheel. Um, and it feels like that has happened a, a good number of times over the last like six years specifically. Yeah. I mean, I can't, the fact that you've been there for like a decade, that's just, that's, in, that's insane to me. Will, just Will has never felt as old as he does right now. <laughs> oh no, no. I, <laughs> so talk, sorry. I talked to a, a freshman um, at uh, South Carolina last week who asked me how old I was and the, the look on his face made me feel extremely old. So like, this is great <laughs> in comparison. This is really good. I mean, I would think that you were like, I'm 27. I would think that you're like my age. So um, I'm, I'm 32. I, I think. Okay. I, yeah. I um, have to remind myself of that though. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, since he, I mean, once you like, how did you try to get from point A to point B, um, like at your job, once you were in the door, obviously you've discussed, you know, the way that you rose up, but I feel like a lot of people have a hard time actually kind of moving up in this industry, even sure. at their own job, a lot of places would rather hire from the outside and promote from within. And there's yep. often a lot of, there's often a kind of a lot of roadblocks to upward mobility. And how did you kind of circumvent that? I, th- I think I, you know, I, I don't want to say I got lucky, but I think timing can always be a factor in this. And um, one of the things I always tried to do was early on wear as many hats as I could. And part of that, I think in real time was me figuring out what are the things that I enjoy doing? What do I wanna do more of? What are the specific parts of sports media slash video production that I wanna, from a career standpoint, dive into a bit further. And, you know, I, I, I think I, I joke about this a lot because I'm incapable of not being self-deprecating, but I, I feel like what I did was I hoarded knowledge so people couldn't get rid of me. But in reality, what I was doing was I, I was understanding the, the business side of it. I was understanding the, all the back end stuff in a way that I didn't fully appreciate in real time, but looking back on it helped me set up. So when they said, hey, we could use a video producer here, or hey, we could use some extra help getting the studio up and running or whatever. Like I had enough awareness of what was going on that I could comfortably always say, yeah, I, I can do that. I can, I can step in, I can be comfortable um, going into this kind of uncharted territory compared to what I had been previously doing, whatever that uh, was at the time. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that also, it's tricky advice because I think early on for your own sake, it's really important to understand all of those options and and get a feel for what you might be stronger at or what you might get more joy out of. And then at a certain point, you also have to kind of question which of these hats should I leave behind? What, what are the things that, um, you know, you never want a company to take advantage of you. And I think sometimes that can be very, very easy for a place to do when you are so willing to do so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, there's all the, the, the phrase, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. And so it's like at a certain point, you're going to hit that fork of like, here's what I want to be known for. And if people also know of me as somebody who is down to kind of snowball an idea or, or get my hands dirty with XYZ, that's cool. But hopefully first and foremost, they're thinking of me as a, a video producer, as a, a capable sports storyteller. Well, I, think I feel like, a- oh, sorry, no one. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, when you said Jack of all trades, master of none, um, I don't know if you're a Parks and Rec fan, but it just made me think of when Ron Swanson says, don't half-ass two things, whole-ass one thing. And I think that that's like something that's really hard for people to do now because of exactly what you said of people, you know, companies want to get as much bang for their buck out of their employees. Um, Mm -hmm. They're going to ask you to do things that aren't in your your wheelhouse, aren't in your job description. They're actually going to demand them. Um, They're not, they might not compensate you. Typically they won't compensate you for it because it's like, well, you're not a team player if you don't help out. But I think ultimately, um, you know, to a certain extent, 
saying yes to those opportunities only serves to make you a more well-rounded person in your job market on your resume. Um, I know Nolan and I both have uh, had had that um, even working on the same team previously where we literally had an entire component added to our job um, that we had to suddenly do and um, didn't get paid extra for it had to work late nights and, you know, but now I have, you know, all these other things on my resume that I didn't have before um, that can help me in the future. A lot of places will say like, oh, well, you know, the experience is the compensation. And I I think there is some truth to that, but similarly at a certain point, the compensation is the compensation. Like let's, let's be real. Let's call it what it is. Like (laughs) money is money and experience is cool. It can go a long way. It can be a really good tool to kind of, figure yourself out because I I think that you know I I mentioned earlier like I do really enjoy my job and I I think that is the big reason I have been here as y'all very politely reminded me nearly a decade um (laughs) I I I think because I I get so much joy out of it because I've been I've I've been able to kind of carve out a role that is um true to myself and very fulfilling in a lot of ways um if I hadn't had all that experience doing so many different things half-assed, I I don't think I would have been able to get to this point for sure. I think too, there's an element of it. And this is honestly something that I kind of ask everybody that we have in here because, uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm talking to people, it's a very similar story. It's like, well, I was, uh, you know, I was doing 6 a.m. radio spots for this radio station out in, you know, a mile out or an hour outside of the city. I was also writing for this, uh, you know, little blog that wasn't paying me anything. And it's just like all these mix of things. And I think the thing you said about, you know, just saying yes to things um, is, is so important. It, just being reliable, being somebody that uh, when, you know, your bosses are in a pinch, they can go, well, we'll just give it to Will, you know, or, or we'll just, you know, whatever the case may be. But what I found is over time, A, that opens up new opportunities for you to discover things that you might like more than what you're doing in the first place. I mean, like we, uh, you know, I, all of a sudden I was working in social media one day and it entailed a lot of graphic design. And I was like, Holy crap. Like, I really like this. Like I, I could see myself, you know, graphic designing for uh, a majority of the work I do. And, and it's just those little experiences that kind of shape your own path. And like you said, once you're done, because you have all this knowledge, you have a position that's uniquely yours. But on top of that, um, I think that there's something to be said for being able to look at something a different way because you were forced to. So, you know, when you go from writing and then all of a sudden you're, you're thinking of something more in like a video content medium, you see things a different way. And maybe something that you realized while working for video production will unlock something that allows you to see something else from when you're writing. Do you have, uh, I guess, any experiences off the top of your head like that? Or um, I guess just how do you, how do you see that? Yeah. I, so going, going back to kind of the entire strategy behind secret base um, we, we think about what we do as like, we are not the sports experts. We are the people that will put the work in to become the expert on a specific thing for about like two weeks to a month before we move on to the next thing. And I, I think that the, the, you know, watered down version of that is 
write what you know. You know, it, the, the stuff I gravitate to, it's, it's the football content, it's the, the hockey content. Um, not saying I don't care about other sports, but I can bring something to those from a personal level, even if it's not about my team. Because the tricky thing with sports media that I don't think like people talk about enough is you are, you, you're kind of in a bad position based on fandom. Like if, if I tell somebody I'm a Cowboys fan, what that really means is I'm not an Eagles fan. I'm not a Giants fan, not a Washington football team fan. I'm sick of the Patriots winning. Um, I kind of don't like the Saints for some reason. I don't know if that's just a proximity thing. <laughs> but so then it's like, how, how does somebody make content that is not about the Cowboys, but is still interesting to me? How do you give universal appeal to whatever you're making? And, and part of that ties into just like knowing your audience and, and maybe something doesn't need universal appeal. But to go back to your question, I, I think the way that we've been able to do that is by finding those, those personal aspects of why do I care about this? Why does it matter on the, the greater scale? Trying to get that across. Um, you know, this isn't necessarily uh, an example of a piece of work that ties into this, but I do think sports media as a whole, there's so many people that have had such successful careers who probably like, it wasn't until they were 25 or 26, were like, oh, I can do that professionally. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think the best boss I ever had, um, the executive producer before me, he was a lawyer until late 20s, until he was 30, some, something like that. And then he, he, you know, had been kind of writing uh, college football blogs on the side. And then eventually was just like, oh, I can do this full time. Okay, cool. Yeah, that'll make me happier. And I, I think as, as an industry, you know, there's plenty of people that you can go to college for it and you can break in and you can like make a living and ha- have a ton of success. And also <laughs> there are so many people that don't do that and have kind of their life before sports media. And then they're able to bring all of that into it. Um, me specifically. So it's like, I've been with this, uh, with Vox Media slash SB Nation since 2012, but that hasn't just been with SB Nation. So like for a while I was within our studios team that helps all of the different video teams across our entire company, which I think then helped me understand like from an outsider looking in at SB Nation's content, like what's actually working? What, what are they doing well? What should they be doing more of? And similarly do it to other brands within Vox Media, learn from them and be able to kind of bundle it all up into what we eventually started doing. Um, not everything has worked for sure, but I think that's all been part of the process as well. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that a lot of places don't recognize or don't consider is asking somebody on the outside for their input, you know, not, I mean, and plenty of places don't even ask the people on the inside for the input. I mean, we're seeing that literally with like the readers in that tweet yesterday, which was just so appalling. I mean, I've never had my entire timeline on Twitter, either subtweeting or directly tweeting about the exact same thing, like literally like 2000 people. Um, But I think something that a lot of people forget is to like ask, you know, kind of do their like market research. A lot of places just don't ask people on the outside for their opinion anymore. And it makes it hard to be successful because if the only people are the people on the inside who are actually creating it and not everybody is the best at critiquing themselves, 
um, you know, you might be missing out on some really good opportunities. The same way people used to go and product test cereals for focus groups, like, you know, with Major League Baseball, I, I never understand why they don't ask like actual fans what they want. Um, you know, fans on Twitter are basically telling MLB what they want every single day. And MLB's like, no, we're going to continue to black you out from all your games and we're going to make the ticket right. prices unaffordable and beers are $15 and the parking's $80 and the jersey's $200. Oh, why don't you want to be a baseball fan anymore? Um, right. You know, I think I think a lot of places, it's about making sure that you listen to the people on your internal teams, but also kind of trying to find out from your consumers um, how you can be better and give them more of what they want so that you become the only thing or one of the only things that they want to consume. It, it's really good when you can trust yourself enough to be the expert in what you're doing. But if you're unable to listen to the people that you're actually making something for and then adapt and evolve to, to give them something that they're thinking, yes, yeah, that, that is it. Please more of that. Um, you're kind of, you're kind of doing your job wrong. Yeah. And it's like, no, you want this. And they're like, no, I don't goodbye. And that's <laughs> right, it. You right. know, and it's like, why don't you just, if you can, if, I mean, sometimes it's impossible, but like, if you can, give them more of what they're saying that they want, um, you know, instead of trying to hammer something into their heads that they, you know, even if it's something as like as simple as, you know, you looking at what performs the best mm -hmm. on secret base and then saying, okay, so let's pivot to doing more of this content, you know, right. as opposed to, well, nobody read this, nobody watched this, nobody liked this. So it, it's because like, let's, the algorithm didn't promote it correctly right, or because right. they're, they're, the viewers are wrong. No, I, you're absolutely right. Like we shifted strategies in 2017 um, because for a long time we had been essentially trying to be like ESPN junior, you know, like we, we saw like, Oh, yeah. that's how you do. That's how that's sports video. That's, that's okay, cool. We can, we can do like an internet version of that. And it took us a long time to, to really recognize like, we weren't building an audience. We weren't building a community around our work. And, and that's something that can be hard to recognize in real time. So I'll, I'll cut our past selves some, some slack, but it's, it's a hard thing to kind of confront yourself with. And we had to just sit down and, and change it all up. And I, I think a, a big part of that focus was like, we weren't adding anything new to the conversation. We, we were doing something that was forcing, you know, if somebody watched our stuff, they, they probably could have chosen the same topic out of 20 other uh, channels on YouTube that had put out the same sort of video on that same day. And you're just, you're competing with kind of infinite competition. And I, I think there's something that's really great about that. I think the, the ease of being able to make content um, is, is an extremely cool thing. But if you hit a point and you're just like, we want to build an audience and we're not, and you're not putting anything new out there. That, that was exactly where we, we got to kind of uh, totally change up our strategy. I, I feel like a lot of people it's, you know, there's this whole kind of not roadblock, but like everyone feels so ashamed to be wrong nowadays, you know? And so people are scared to pivot and adapt because they feel embarrassed that they don't want to be seen as failures or that, you know, that they don't want to be seen as struggling. And it's, it's easier to kind of just like, it's easier to kind of just continue doing that and like ignore things than just attempt something completely new, because then, you know, if you fail at that, 
it's like entirely your endeavor and it was your creation and it was unlike anything else. But, you know, we have so many like highlight accounts on social media. Now there are so many, like so many of the same, so many, you know, social managers will tell their employees like, well, make it go viral. And it's like, (laughs) you're like the number of times Nolan and I were told like, make this go viral. And it's like, first of all, you can't like, you know, that stupid meme, like one does not simply make something go viral, <laughs> right? but, but also like there's, oh, I forgot you know, to click the viral button. Crap. Right. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> right. Like I clicked the, I only want three retweets, not 4,000 retweets, but <laughs> yep. you know, my bad, sorry. But like, you know, this idea of, I don't even know how to put it, but like, like you said, with community, c- cultivating a community versus just like always trying to go viral, always trying to get people to like consume what you're get, what you're feeding them as opposed to like showing them why they can. And I, I feel like you see so many accounts on social um, that just like, don't understand that. Um, right. right. They're, because, they're just, they're going for home runs and not recognizing right. that a single is really, really good too. Yeah. And also like, it, like, it's like Moneyball. you know, he says, just get on base. Like I just need players who can get on base. I can't afford, you know, to keep Johnny Damon and Jason Giambi. So I'm going to just sign a bunch of random guys that can get on base, but guess what? Like they changed the game. Yep. Like that's like the perfect metaphor for this. Honestly, now that we're kind of met, like fleshing it out. And I think, you know, I don't know how how we get more people to think that way, but I think social media becomes and the sports, you know, content world becomes a much better place when you don't have everyone just trying to hit a home run all the time. Because guess what? If you're hitting home, if you're trying to hit a home run every time, you're probably striking out four out of five times right. if you're lucky. I yeah, I, I assume that viral became a buzzword just from too many old dudes in too many meetings without <laughs> listening to anyone else who were just right. like we need to make stuff viral we need to when when in practice like if if you keep going for those singles keep you know maybe you'll get a double here and there but like if you put in the work that might not be as flashy eventually you're not worried about that eventually you're able to create something that like your audience is i think viral can mean a lot of different things and i think it's just like let's get rid of that word and let's just like focus on like how do you make something that your audience is going to come back for because viral to me is like one and done yeah sustainability i mean mean, oftentimes somebody i mean we had someone on our network go viral for a tweet like last week and yeah he gained a couple hundred followers because the tweet went like mega viral but you know his podcast numbers did not really increase at all it was just that they liked that one tweet and you know they came for that tweet they stayed for that tweet and that was it um you know you're not having conversations you're just you know throwing things at the wall and hoping that they stick but I think, you know, the metaphor with this hit, trying to hit a single, you know, just trying even trying to take a walk, not stri- anything but a strikeout. It's like there are players, I mean, to continue this metaphor, there are players in Major League Baseball that I love who are not home run hitters, but I love them because they're consistently getting on base and driving in a different runner. And those are the guys that I root for because they're not the superstars, but they're the ones that keep it interesting. They're the ones that I can count on. You know, like Mitch Moreland on the Oakland A's, that guy had like top two, uh, top two in doubles and RBI for the Red Sox in 2017. I mean, he hit like 20 home runs too, but he wasn't, he's never been the home run leader on his team, but whenever they had two outs and a runner on second, 
he always drove in that run with an RBI double. So like, I literally, you know, I have his Jersey. I root for him. Like he's, I'm still rooting for him. He's not even on my team anymore. And like that kind that kind of metaphor, I just love that for, you know, sports, you know, content creation and everything. And on the flip side, it's okay to, to strike out and, and yeah, that too. kind of go back and look at what, what happened. You know, Readjust I, I your swing the next, the next at bat, right? Right. You're, you, you reach the danger zone when it's like, Oh, that, well, that should have been a home run. So I'll just keep doing it. And yeah. It'll become that. right. I mean, Nolan, you said it perfect, like sustainability. Like that is what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think a big part of that success for you guys in secret base is not only, is the the content reliably good but it's like again when you tune into a baseball game you know there's going to be nine innings you know that there's going to be two starting pitchers and i think that's a little bit about you know like what i i think makes your guys videos so inviting when i tune into a beef history i know exactly how it's going to be structured when i turn into a collapse episode i know we're going to start to see the guys get put up and then slowly over time they're going to start fading out and you know the the rewinders and you know it's going to start at the big moment then go back i think structure is is something that's very underrated in terms of sustainability and i also made the foolish decision to uh major in screenwriting in college uh so i'm a little bit of a nerd about these types of things uh but i mean can you talk to me about your your ethos regarding structure how how it's crafted uh for a particular series and then you know just why it's so important in general sure i mean i i think you hit it on the head in terms of you know what you're getting into and i I think um that's something we try to do a ton of we want we want our audience to know we're gonna not waste their time (laughs) i think we want them to be familiar with uh the topic or the format and that's something that you can do to 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 build trust and fully recognize not every video is going to be for everyone but we have so many people that reach out and they're just like, I don't care about hockey, but I watch your hockey videos. I don't mm. care about the UFC, but I will watch this. And That's how you know you've made it, dude. <laughs> That's <laughs> how you really, know. It's really cool. Cause I, I think, um, you know, uh, one of my coworkers, John Boys, he pointed this out a while ago and it kind of blew my mind, but it, it changed how I, I think about it. Whenever anyone suggests for us to do a video, what they are essentially saying is like, I know how this story ends and I want you to tell it. And that's become like a really special mindset for us because not to say it lets us like get comfy or start cruising or anything, but I I think it it is proof that people trust us on, on a level we weren't really expecting even, you know, two years ago or whatever. But when it, when it comes to to format, when it comes to narrative themes, I, I think it, it kind of ties into when, when we changed strategies and we really looked at what we were doing and started focusing more on storytelling instead of just talking sports. Um, and, you know, I still love things that are just talking sports. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. want to put anyone down. Games but, on. Right, right. Things like um, that. But, but, <laughs> you you, you I, know the line. Right. <laughs> but I, I, I think... Um, you know, we, we, we took a step back and we, we looked at what are the things that interest us and therefore hopefully interest an, uh, a number of people as well. And one of the things that we love is like 30 for 30 and any 
proper documentary and we wanted kind of more of that and from a from a youtube standpoint like you know we are very uh ingrained and just like thinking about youtube uh for better or worse but <laughs> from a youtube standpoint like you can get tons of that sort of content you can get tons of deep dives and, and breakdowns and in 2018 it felt like there was less of that felt like there was less um, kind of big picture universal storytelling. And so we just wanted to do that. We wanted to like make the content that we would have watched. And, and so finding those themes within a sports story, go, going back to like our kind of mantra of we tell stories that happen to be about sports. Like the, the fact that it still feels like there aren't a lot of people that have caught up to us just from that kind of specific sense, it, it feels weird because all, all we are doing is telling stories in the way that so many people do outside of sports, but bringing it into a, a realm that I think maybe just there's a lot of uh, larger scale content creators that um, expect viewers to just want to kind of be like washed over in it. Or mm -hmm. something. Like that's, that's always kind of been my, my viewpoint of like, people are down to take the time watch a 15 minute thing about something they didn't know that they cared about. And, and maybe they don't care about it at the end, but they'll take the time to kind of form that opinion. And so our stories are, are helping them come to a conclusion. And regardless of what series is, I think the answer, the, the question we're trying to answer is why does this matter? It can matter on a very large scale. It can matter on a very small scale, but the, the why is a very important thing for us to try to put into context. Well, one of the, one of the things that you just said about uh, John Boyce, by the way, is the goat um, oh, in yeah, terms legend. of content creation. Like there, there is not a more brilliant mind to me for my money uh, in sports media. But what I, I think what you, what his, the, the quote you just relayed from him was interesting is somebody is saying, I know how the story ends and I want you to tell it. I, I think something that is interesting about my mindset, because I watch Secret Base every single night before I go to bed. It's like my fall asleep show. It's the show I watch for two hours before I fall asleep. It's the, okay, one more, you know, and typically speaking, this is, and this is just something that I find very interesting about it. Typically speaking, when I'm like watching YouTube videos, like I love to watch cooking videos and I'm like, Ugh, it's 11 minutes long. You know, like the, the length can be a real detriment to my decision to watch it. But one thing I find with the SB nation or, or secret base videos is that I'll see a really, really good one. And then I'll go, Oh man, it's only 11 minutes, you know, like, and I think that is like really telling about how I know you're, cause I know, however you guys tell it, it's going to be very lean. It's not going to have a lot of fat on it. You're going to explain it to me like I'm five, which is exactly how like you can you can speed up the the process or I guess expedite the process and, and for lack of a better term, dumb it down and make it super effectively communicated in a way that like a good like a good hour and a half movie. You're not like checking your phone to see when it's going to be done. Like you're you're with it and it gets to a good part and you're like, Oh, I think it's about to end. I hope there's three more minutes, you know, like that, that to me is super, super telling about the product that you guys put out. I mean, thank you for saying that first off. And I, I think the, you know, the Eli five sort of mindset, it, it goes back into the, how are you programming for an audience that is hopefully made up of fans of so many different teams and so many different sports and 
obviously we want somebody who's a fan of the specific team we might be talking about to get something new out of it, but we also don't want it to be going over people's heads. And so there, there is a, a level of like, does this, does each sentence, does each asset, does each piece of information tie back to the original story? And, that, and that's something that it's taken us a long time to get comfortable in and recognize for ourselves. Um, I think for instance, um, God, what was the most recent? Oh, so I did Bill Belichick, Eric Mangini, Beef History. Um, my brain is a total blur, but that, so that's the most recent video that I, I made. And I think every, every story, like stories and video are, are both very scalable. And so something we try to do is let's tell this story in the amount of time that it deserves. Not add fluff, but let's also not just blast through it. And I think like that episode could have been six minutes. It could have been 20 minutes. And it totally just kind of depends on, on what you're defining as the important pieces. And so something we try to do, and, and that story is an example, something we try to do is find like a theme that we can tie back to and continue to kind of know, okay, here's this, here's the, I wrote this amazing line. That's not true for me, but let's say somebody wrote an amazing line in their script, hypothetically, <laughs> some very talented individual. Um, sometimes they, they just don't, sometimes it's writing for the sake of writing and it doesn't actually tie back into the original theme. Yeah. And we have to kill those lines some of the time and rework them to get them to point back to the original theme. And so with Belichick and Mangini, it's all about, there was this friendship there and there are these two guys who are extremely similar and then there was some spying and there was a falling <laughs> out and and so it's like it's a very it's a very simple story but by being able to kind of water it down you can start to un uncover like what, what are the pieces of it that really matter what what cannot be lost um i think that the way that we work I'll write a script. I'll drop it in a room on Slack. The rest of the producers can go through it and give notes and say, this is nothing <laughs> or rearrange this or, hey, this looks great. And it's always a very collaborative process. And that's, that's something where we're able to kind of be each other's backstop. Because like I was saying earlier, like none of us, you know, I, I'm not the Belichick and Mangini expert. Um, even if I really wanted to be, I don't think I'll ever get to that status. But for about two weeks while I was researching and writing this thing, there's a chance I knew more about their relationship than anyone else in the world at that time. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is an absolutely horrible statement to just put out into the universe. <laughs> but I still need help knowing when a story is a story and when the story is too lean or there's not enough information and I, I think we've done a really good job of um, building a team where we have strengths and passions and interests that are like pretty different um, so if my, my colleague Seth writes uh, a Knicks script he's a diehard Knicks fan started our Knicks blog posting and toasting shout out posting and toasting um, <laughs> I can be the person who's like the audience for it saying, I need to, need, I need to know more about this. There's too much of that. I don't see why that's important. And it can really force uh, the person that did the bulk of the work to then kind of even 
think further about the stuff they've already done and uh, overanalyze it themselves, but in a, a productive way to make sure that once somebody has actually seen it outside of the team, they have that same feeling of like, this is a secret base video. Everything is there. I did not waste my time. Hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, the secret base videos are like, they're always super well-researched and sourced. And I feel like one of the biggest things that that sets you guys apart, just because a lot of places, they kind of bare bones it and they just try to go based off of, you know, game footage or player footage or something. And they don't have enough. I mean, they don't, they don't have enough meat to them, but I, I know from personal experience, because I'm the kind of person that will kind of fall down a rabbit hole of like, all of a sudden I'm looking at photos of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in high school. And I'm like, well, this has nothing to do with what I needed about his like, you know, points per game, you know, in 1979. But it was um, interesting to you and that, I, that's right. a good way to spend your time. <laughs> no, a hundred percent is for me, but like, it might not actually be what I need. Um, so I'm curious, like if you walk us through the research process for these videos, like what, you know, which mediums do you use? Like, how do you kind of compile? Like, do you outline beforehand? How do you get organized? And like, your best practices kind of if somebody was trying to become better at researching, even me, I mean, always looking for the uh, the tips. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think um, a lot of the time, it varies, for sure, it varies. But I, I think a lot of the time, like, you kind of already have hit on how we start it's usually us falling down a rabbit hole. It's, I think a lot of times we'll be researching some other story or we'll just be looking into something that was like, I read this one line in a, a article I was reading, which then made me need to know everything about this and we'll stumble into something that's perfect. Um, it's, it's really one of the benefits of how we build our, our shows and having series. So we can mostly... Uh, easily recognize like this is a beef history this is a rewinder or this moment in sports history is not actually a rewinder it's just a really cool thing that happened but for storytelling purposes it might not fit this bucket so step one is kind of being able to identify what goes where and what 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 we've done makes that a lot a lot easier but in terms of finding the individual stories like we get a lot of twitter suggestions we get a lot of uh, YouTube comments, like those are extremely helpful. Um, but going back to trying to talk about what we know and what we're passionate about, sometimes it just comes from personal experience of like, I remember this play. I, rem I remember this feud or whatever. And then however it comes about, we usually have just one starting point that we can then really start to chip away at. I think the, the resource that we use the most is newspapers.com. It's an amazing place to just waste your time or to productively spend it looking into <laughs> uh, the research for stories. But like, I, you know, and it, and it totally depends on, on how you're trying to construct your, your work. But what we really try and do is, is let's analyze things from the viewpoint of how they happened in real time. And so being able to go back and be like, okay, I know this game took place on November 22nd, 1997. So I'm going to go search November 23rd, 1997 and see how they were talking about it the next day or see, you know, for beef history, um, looking at each time these players matched up or these teams matched up and then going through the newspapers from the following day to find the, the juicy quotes. Um, what that does is it, it allows us to kind of 
piece together this story that, you know, some, sometimes there's already a video out there or an article and people have kind of chronicled it and, and you can kind of have a framework of what you're going for. But a lot of times we're just kind of doing that and piecing it together ourselves so we can then condense a story that sometimes it was only told once in real time over the span of six years or whatever. We're trying to find the, the elements that really feed into what we're trying to do, uh, piece it together. What's nice about that is usually we're also then finding the coverage for the videos themselves. So we're kind of two birds, one stone at that point. But um, once, once we're at that point, we will put together an outline Similarly, we'll share that around and, you know, usually I drop them in with the question of like, is this something? Because really we're just, you know, it's, it is the, the chance for people to be like, yeah, this works totally, or you're going to want more of this, or you're going to want to rearrange these things. And once we kind of have, have talked through it as a team, the, the producer will run off and really start writing the script from there. Um, and it varies from person to person. Sometimes uh, we have a few producers that like their outlines could be scripts uh, and myself and, and some other people, I think for the most part, our outlines will be very bare bones, sometimes just beat by beat. Like here's the stuff, what, what's most interesting or what do you have questions about um, pretty streamlined. But yeah, newspapers.com is huge. Um, finding, finding articles to back up what we're saying for a, the visual side of things because going back to the point of like we don't see ourselves as experts nor do we really want people to have to just trust that what we're telling them is accurate we, we want to find the supporting source material so people can like you know our voiceover can tell them all the details but we can also just back it up and and they know we aren't bullshitting them they can they can trust us um you That's know, when you, perfect. when you said the newspaper thing, the first thing that came to mind was the time, um, Terry Bradshaw used the, uh, the alias Tom Brady for his arm surgery. Um, oh God, I forgot about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember like a month ago that was going around again. I feel like every year at the beginning of March now that, that old newspaper, um, like screenshot or like image goes around on like everyone's Twitter. Um, and you said newsheroes.com. I don't know why that was the first thing that came up, but I just thought, I mean, I think that is you know, a, a moment in time. <laughs> that is, that's a, a good segue into a reminder for everyone that if you work in sports media long enough, your brain is just broken in terms of what you're going to jump to. What, what you think is going to spark yeah. your memory to be like, Oh, or like me typing something into my own advanced search to find like my own tweet and seeing that I've tweeted the same thing, like seven oh, yeah. times in yeah. like 10 plus years. <laughs> like, like in 2013, I was tweeting that I would die for David Ortiz. And last year I also right. was tweeting that I would die for David Ortiz. <laughs> I mean, that's just how you know that your your brand is strong. Yeah, exactly. there's consistency to it. So you talked about, uh, you know, we, just to kind of put a bow on this, you know, conversation about uh, narrative structure and a big part of the storytelling is the context that you guys had. And I think like the context, the raising of the stakes, like those are things that like are, are a little bit overlooked and it's important in all sorts of storytelling and i know i'm sure you had a similar experience i remember being a freshman in college being like structure i don't need structure i got ideas you know and uh and and really you're just completely wrong you're just an idiot you don't know anything uh but it's okay you you will soon learn that not only is it important but it also helps you write your own 
narrative and and when you're picking up like plot points and stuff like that you're saying like oh this needs context to one of the most the the two ones that come to mind specifically in terms of like mind-blowing context that i will never forget is the uh there's a rewinder episode on the rays and sorry gabrielle the rays and their big comeback on the last day of the season with the crawford missing the the catch and then the evan longoria walk-off going only clearing the fence because they built you like that had left to choose, field. You had to choose this Carl example. Well, it's it's insane. It's mind blowing. It's a it's a it's an incredible stat. And then uh, like that. And then on top of and then the other one that comes to mind is the uh, the David Freeze home run, where I didn't know that he broke his wrist earlier that season, and that the guy who broke his wrist was also the guy who gave up the winning run on the last day of the season to blow one of the biggest leads in history, like in the last month, like that, that to me is the stuff that like hook it up into my veins. Like I, that is the creme de la creme uh, of information. How much can that add to a story and, and just make it stand out? And are you always constantly on the search for what's the connection there? What's the connection here? How can, Oh wait, was this tied back into this? Like, are you constantly on the pursuit of that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, whether it's it's a, a conscious pursuit or it's it's a, a happy accident when we fall upon those, I think I think it's it's really it, it's a great thing about sports. Like sports is just organized chaos that you know we put rules to a long time ago, and people have been pushing the sport, and and it's evolved, and you have these really wild scenarios that just seem to play out every year. But I think the the bad thing about sports is it's it's on a cycle you know i mean the last year we, we got some curveballs but um it's it's on this cycle where you know there's going to be a super bowl each year you know there's going to be a march madness tournament you know the order of these events which can then kind of make it numbing a little bit as as a fan and that's that i think that's a a good thing and a bad thing it allows everyone to attach their own meaning and you can, you can play favorites and um, no one is ever going to have the same fandom as the next person, which is, is really, it's what makes it special and allows us to like feel things from a silly game. (laughs) But the being able to find those, those points of context is, is really important to us because everything matters and it's 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 on a spectrum for sure but every everything at the time that it happened matters to some extent and finding finding the moments in in sports history that we've kind of lost the the context of and we've we've forgotten why we cared about it in the first place you know breaking it down like this this is where i really feel like god how, how has, like, why isn't everyone just doing this? Why isn't this blueprint is so big? Like, we're just looking at history to tell us what good stories are. Mm. And then we're finding the details to retell those stories. And it, it's, it's nice to have those little connections. It's nice to, you know, how fortunate was it that when Derek Jeter made the play on the cutoff and flipped it and they were able to tag G, uh, Jeremy Giambi out. How fortunate is it that Jeremy Giambi was also then the final 
out of that whole game. And and so when we told a rewinder on those, like you remember the flip, but the flip wouldn't have been anything if they hadn't gotten Jeremy Giambi out in the, mm. in the, the ninth inning. Yeah. Um, find, finding all those things. And, and like I said, it's on a spectrum for sure. So like, here's a, a bit of a teaser, depending when this comes out and when we actually finish the video. Um, like we're working on a rewinder about Bartolo Colon's home run. Like, beautiful oh i love i literally almost wore a shirt i almost (laughs) wore a shirt that's like the mlb logo but instead it's bartolo cologne that and i almost put that on can i request that you just wear that every episode yeah right like i think that should be like your official uniform I mean, I, I'm happy to do that, but you know, we just, most of my life is in boxes. So I grabbed the first t-shirt I could find. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. But yes, but yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. It's, yeah. It's one of those things where it's, it's kind of a goofy thing. And I think if, um, you know, if you told somebody like, we're going to make a 12 minute mini doc on the time Martello Cologne hit a home run, like you're not going to really expect to feel much from that but we're going to put the same amount of thought and care into that as you know as we do something that is more quote-unquote serious Um, i think we need both especially you know after the last year you can't like it can't all be like the hard stuff and the sad stuff and like the the serious stuff like you gotta you gotta have i i feel like that kind of content especially now is you know what people gravitate to more Right. Because it's kind of like a reprieve, you know, it's, it's a way to, to appreciate what other people have gone through. It's a way to appreciate other people's fandom. And, and it's such a unique thing that whenever you have the chance to get a, a look into how somebody else cares about this thing that you also care about immensely, it's it's I don't know, there's something so personal to it that it can be really nice. Um, yeah, so Bartolo Colon reminder, y'all heard it first. All right. Soon. Is that breaking news? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Breaking news. <laughs> Lit. What do you got, Gabrielle? I I was just thinking, you know, we we're talking about documentaries 30 for 30. And I loved that little space jam thing that you wrote back in the fall. Um, like way back, you know, like what November? So like 85 months ago in pandemic times. So I have a two-part <laughs> question for you. First of all, your thoughts on the space jam trailer that dropped. At some point oh, recently, man. I don't yeah. even remember when it came out. So that's the first part. But then, you know, continuing the Jordan trend, if you guys could make a Last Dance style mm-hmm. docu-series um, or web series, yeah, and you had all of like the kind of requisite footage the way that they had of that, like of that era of Jordan, for anybody in the history of sports, like who would you do it for? Uh, so, I mean, the important question first, Space Jam 2. I was, <laughs> exactly. I was, I was not expecting to feel what I felt watching that trailer of just getting so excited for it. I am, I am <laughs> I, like, LeBron James in Trainwreck, LeBron James on SNL, like, dude can act. And yeah. I, I, you know, they made the house realistic. So that's a step up from the original. Like no way Michael Jordan was living in a, a suburban home. <laughs> that was like, that was like if Michael Jordan was living in the house from home alone or like right. any John Hughes movie, it's like, that's hundred percent. It's not how this works. Um, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm excited for space jam too, in a way that I, I will admit I was not expecting. I didn't think I was going to like it at all. Cause I'm like a diehard 
original space jam to the point where i was like we literally don't need this can you come up with anything else or do like a baseball version with mike trout or something you know there you go yeah um Um, as far as yeah if we could do the last dance um so i mean i i i will have to be cagey about this we are working on something that is a much uh, larger scale thing for us um, which kind of would fall into that category, not in terms of with all the interviews and the production level that The Last Dance has, but we are working on something that is like a pretty big deal in our eyes. Um, so uh, June 19th, stay tuned. Um, well, it's, I mean, I, I am extreme, like, I'm, I'm a huge Cowboys homer, but like the Super Bowl winning teams that the Cowboys had in the early nineties are absurd from a story standpoint and no clue how much Jerry Jones would let people uh, know the real truth, but um, you know, not, not wishing anyone ill will, but maybe a few years down the road, there is less protection around those stories. And uh, <laughs> at that point, secret base could do a, all-out exploration of just like what was the full extent of the debauchery going around going along uh around those teams because yeah the 90s were a special time as the last dance showed for sure but makes me think of like makes me think of like the 80s like the 80s mets with just like all the cocaine and you know the craziness and daryl strawberry and dwight gooden whatever michael Um, Irvin probably drew inspiration (laughs) those guys so i think oh god i just i feel like every every great athlete from now on should have the same kind of jordan-esque coverage that they had that enabled them to make the last dance you know just so that they can do more of those um, but then you would probably get into the category of like, well, not everybody needs a docu-series. Sure. Like so- somebody wrote an article, I think it was for Sports Illustrated, maybe it was for ESPN saying that um, the next Jordan-esque docu-series should be about the core four for the Yankees. Um, and I was like, honey, you're you're living under the assumption that literally every other sports fandom doesn't despise the New York Yankees. Like that's a very small market documentary um, in my opinion. Would would people hate watch it that like that? Um, I think there is a way you could do it where you're able to make it appeal because also part of it is like, if you are telling the true story for anyone, like hopefully you're telling that story in a way that like they don't want to watch it. mm. (laughs) Like, I, I think that's, I, I, as a, a non-Yankees fan, I mean, granted, also not a Red Sox fan, but like, yeah, take, take this. For <laughs> I mean, the, the rivalry is so tired. It's not really, that's not really my thing. It's just like, you know, the Yankees are, uh, Michael Jordan was like a universal brand, you know, sure. yeah. and the Yankees just aren't, um, yeah. you know, so for yeah. me, I, I don't really see, I don't, I would, you know, I'd say like maybe one or two episodes, but I wouldn't see like a 10 part series yeah, about that would, the core that would four. Be a little rough. That would be, I mean, at least like Tom Brady saw the light and got that camera crew pretty quick to, to start <laughs> turning around his own yeah. thing. So maybe I think I think it's a it's a it could become a good gateway for people to get into producing for when their careers are winding down. Yeah, for sure. 
Well, well, uh, thanks so much for your time today, man. I got a, we got a couple more wrap up questions, if that's all right with you. Uh, Please, really yeah. appreciate you uh, taking the time to join us today. What the, I think the cool thing about what you do um, is that on a certain level, a lot of people could do it. You know, at home, like there, it takes a lot of uh, knowledge and, and a lot of trial and error. But eventually, you're essentially doing things that don't require connections in the sports world. They don't get, you know, require uh, things of that nature. If somebody is is determined enough, they can sit down, learn the programs, and and churn something out that's similar, no matter how long it would it would take them to get to that stage of their career. So, what is, you know, if there's somebody sitting at home right now? and they they want to like start but they don't really know where to start like where would you kind of recommend in terms of like video production great question i mean i like in in terms of training like youtube has everything at this point like i I think um you know we have a pair of senior motion graphics artists who are absurd i'll never understand how they do the things that they do and they'll be open about like a decent chunk of their time is spent Googling, uh, YouTubing and Googling how to work around issues that they run into. Like everything is out there if you want to, if you want to get started. Um, I think there's, you know, I think, I think at this point Final Cut is on the cheap side. So if you want to get into video editing, like it's, it's worth taking that, that plunge. Adobe Premiere is, is, you know, borderline industry standard at this point, but Adobe's on the pricier side. But even if you're working in iMovie, even like regardless of the software, um, you just kind of, you got to get your feet wet. You got to dive in. You got to be okay with um, a, a product that is going to be a work in progress. I, I think something that it took me a while to get over was like, not everything's going to be perfect. And it's, it's such a huge learning process that I, I had a, good opportunity my junior year of high school to, to get into digital filmmaking and because of that I was able to understand that like oh I could I could enjoy myself with this as a career this this could be okay but I, I think if I hadn't had some level of structure to find it in the first place which I think now is so much easier to do um through YouTube through cheap software uh whatever your your preference is whatever is available to you, like just get out there and experiment with it. You know, you can, you can shoot stuff on your phone and edit that up, or you can record VO on your phone and then not even ever need to worry about a camera. Like, you know, we, we haven't shot much over the last year and we're still making video. So mm-hmm. just, just find, find, um, finding your voice is, is such a huge part of it. And, that just takes experience. One of the things I wanted to follow up on from a little bit earlier is you talked about like the workshopping process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll drop in a script, say, Hey, is this good? Is this something I'm of a believer that, you know, one of the best things that you can do both for yourself and for the people who are going to give you responsibility and trust you and, and open doors for you is being coachable. And uh, I think that's true at, at all stages of the game. And so at your point, I guess, I guess, do you have any advice for how to be coachable and to how to, um, you know, keep an open mind and, and be able to accept criticism? And then uh, at your point of your career where you're the executive producer, you're the one calling the shots and things like that. How do you still make an effort to learn about your craft? That, I mean, you know, part one 
it's a tricky thing for sure. I'm, I'm definitely stubborn as hell and, and can be a little hardheaded and um, taking feedback is, is similarly something you need to, to work on. I mean, I think some people are, are naturally very, uh, very capable of doing that, but there's, there's a big part of it that is also, you want to build up enough trust in yourself and, and uh, belief in the, the thing that you are making but not so much that then you're just closing off your ears and not taking any of the notes that people are, are passing along with you. I, I think that is, that is the, the tricky line that you need to kind of get comfortable straddling. Um, finding, finding people that you get along with and people that you're, you're capable of having like a healthy, productive conversation with, I think that's a really good place to start. Um, they can see your work, whether it's watching a, a cut you've made or, or a, something you wrote. And you can have some level of trust already that they're gonna be giving you honest feedback that isn't just for the sake of feedback. And I think there's a lot of things that the best way to learn is to have a bad experience, to be totally honest. Like I think um, as, as a manager, I learned a lot more from bad managers than uh, or, or I should say just as much from bad managers as I have from good managers. You can learn how you take feedback by giving feedback. You can receive some really lousy feedback and kind of just like a lot of it is just being aware of, of how, how you're responding to things. I, I think that's an important thing in life in general that took me a long time to understand of just like, cool, how am I processing this processing these things in real time like that's a good thing to, to uh, keep the pulse of but like when it comes to criticism if it's coming from a good place hopefully it's it's easy to uh, to see that it's coming from a good place and if, if you get feedback from somebody and you're like well they were just being an asshole then you also learn maybe don't get feedback from them. <laughs> like it, mm -hmm. there's, there's some, there's some give and take. I think there's some level of, you know, looking out for yourself, uh, your, your, your mental well-being, And if, if some, like, you're not going to be able to collaborate with everybody. And, and that's what it's all about. That like feedback is all about collaboration. And um, I think if, if I give somebody notes, I don't want anything to just be like, uh, change this, do this say this instead. I want to suggest something. I want to explain my reasoning behind it. And I want them to be able to take that and then grow from it. And maybe in the next script, I see like, oh, cool. They actually took this thing or, oh, they, they heard that, that thought I had and evolved it into something of their own. So yeah, being able to give it, being able to take it, I think those, those tie into each other and, and can help you kind of like find find your comfort level and find the people that you can, you can trust to make that process easier. All right. Uh, Will Bukema, uh, you can find him on Twitter at W B U I K uh, W Buke. Uh, he's the executive producer at secret base. You can check out his work uh, and the excellent work of many others at the secret base channel on YouTube. Uh, what else you got coming up? 
anything dropping soon and oh man uh we're bringing back a show that we did for a long time and then stopped called weird rules uh which it's a good is one just thank you thank you it, it, we hit a point where we were like kind of running out of ideas for it and so we've expanded how we're thinking about rules uh but the first one of those will drop uh the wednesday before the nfl draft so a week from the time of recording this um Working on a, a Boston Bruins rewinder, uh, game seven of Bruins Maple Leafs in 2013. It's a good one. Um, we have we have uh, the Iserman double OT game seven. That one's coming. They're soon. they're kind of you know keeping my homerism in check. All right, all right. I, fair I, enough, I, might, fair I, might, I might have the title, <laughs> but they still kind of you know. Yeah, yeah, I, gotcha. I don't run everything, but yeah, we have a lot of lot of stuff in store. Um, Big goal for the year is just more more big projects and more kind of special swings that hopefully people will enjoy. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Cannot be more appreciative of your time. This was a great conversation. And uh, I personally loved every minute of it. So, Will, thank you so much. Go follow him on Twitter. Go follow his work. Go subscribe to Secret Base. Go Go recommend, uh, you know, what what stories you want to see, what stories you want to uh, hear told, and, and get start working on some of some of them yourself. So, uh, Will, thank you again, man, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you all so much. This was a blast. Thanks for joining us.